Bella Baxter, and there is a world to enjoy, circumnavigate. It is the goal of all to progress, grow. A woman plotting her course to freedom. Hello, and welcome to Bomb Squad Matinee, episode lucky number 13. I am your host, Tim M. Sullivan, and with me I have... I'm Tanner Richard Kraft. Hello, I'm Remington Codswallop, and I'm thrilled to be talking about this movie where Norman Osborn resurrects Gwen Stacy and she sleeps with the Hulk. Remington Codsworth, you fucked my wife. Yes, I did. I'm a cat and a rake. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, today uh, we are talking about the new film Poor Things, uh, an adaptation of the novel by uh, Alastair Gray, uh, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who... Uh, if you're not familiar with Yorgos Lanthimos' work outside of this film, uh, he's a director originally from Greece who has made a reputation of, for himself directing, shall we say, uh, thematically challenging films. Uh, some of his uh, best-known works are uh, Dogtooth, The Lobster, um, A Killing of a Sacred Deer, and The Favorite. Um so uh, while we're talking about uh, Yorgos, let's let's talk about Yorgos. So let's talk about some of our favorite Yorgos Lanthimos films. We're going to start with Austin. All right. Uh, Lanthimos is one of those instruments that only grows sharper with each passing feature. And if I cannot say poor things because it is the bell of the ball, the reigning champion of yesteryear will certainly suffice. Uh, 10 Academy Award nominations, 274 award nominations total, and the same budget as Godzilla Minus One. It's Yorgos Lanthimos' 2017 black comedy period film, The Favorite. And besides my, my fairly mundane, previously asserted reason that Lanthimos only seems to improve with time, uh, my more personal reasons for this pick have to do with my emotional frailty as a movie viewer person. While Dogtooth was cruel and strange in a way that had me transfixed, and is surely my third favorite in his cinematic repertoire, I found the the lobster and killing of a sacred deer to be miserable and nihilistic in ways that really seem unnecessary in hindsight, especially now that Lanthimos has demonstrated that he's fully capable of making slightly more upbeat, fucked up films. Mind you, the favorite is like by no means... Pride and Prejudice, uh, bubbly and fun. It's a film about two intelligent women absolutely fucking destroying each other so that they can, like, curry favor with a queen who ultimately intends to treat the winner like microwaved horseshit. Uh, but at the very least, it had some of that, like, dog-tooth charm, like a funny dance to pair with the, the crazy violence. Every Yorgos Lanthimos movie has this goofy violence, but the funny dancing is essential to balance it out on the, re- the recipe. Uh, plus, that monotone, kind of like late-stage Wes Anderson line delivery, was toned down a bit in The Favorite. And I'm here for that, because I never thought it enhanced Lanthimos pictures all that much. So yeah, The Favorite was my favorite by a pretty long stretch. Truth be told, The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer kind of irritated the shit out of me. And I'll give $5 to anyone who can diagnose why I have distaste for those pictures in a way that does not immediately make me frown. That stated, Poor Things is to The Favorite as Goodfellas is to Mean Streets. Uh, Just when we thought we'd like smash through some sort of cinematic ceiling, it's revealed like six years later that we're actually going to fucking Saturn. I am uh, happy to be here talking about it and quite pleased to sing praises to its aesthetically similar predecessor. Back to you, Tim. 
Hell yeah, that is that is definitely fair. Uh, I had not gotten around to seeing the favorite until earlier today. Um, Whoa, what? So, so yeah, it is a solid picture. Uh, Tanner, favorite Yorgos. Well, similar to what Austin said, if I can't say poor things, and I can't because that's the thing we're talking about today, uh, unlike him, I'm going to say, uh, while the favorite is definitely up there for me, uh, and this might be surprising, uh, considering I am always Mr. Positive Optimistic, I like when my movies are happy. I also like when my movies are irritating and cynical, which is why my favorite Yorgos Lathamos film, aside from poor things, for me is absolutely The Lobster. Hell yeah. And I won't say anything more, because I believe from the bottom of my heart, you should know nothing going into watching The Lobster, so I won't say anything. Back to you, Tim. Hell yeah, good picks. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, for me, uh, I've told Austin a little bit about this, um, but I do have a little bit of a story attached to my pick. Um, okay. So right outside of uh, film school, I started uh, dating a close friend of mine. Uh, side note, wouldn't recommend it. Sounds great. Doesn't work. Um, this but, is true. Yeah. Uh, so one day we're going back to her place and uh, her sister's boyfriend who... Um, I won't say too much about who this person is, but uh, he, he has bad vibes. We'll just say that. Uh, he's just sitting at the table rolling a joint. Uh, so join us passed right, around. All right, dude's rock. I'm with you so far. Jo join us passed around. We, we eat some enchiladas. Vibes are not great. Uh, we retreat to her bedroom, and uh, we had just watched Punch Drunk Love the other week, and we wanted to... Uh, watch something a little out there so we started with uh swiss army man which uh we both had a good time with yeah um, there we and then uh because i'm dumb and don't know how to read the room i decided the next film on the playlist should be my favorite yorgos lent the most film and uh to paraphrase a another a quote from another um willem dafoe movie she was not fond of me lobster uh, that's right. No, you did not put the lobster on after Swiss Army Man. Oh, hell I sure yeah. did. I'm what dumb. the fuck is wrong with you? Listen, they're both good films. That was all that was going on in my mind. Uh, the Lobster uh, is a great film. Uh, Tanner didn't want to talk about it um, because you should go in blind. And I, I think that's fair. But I will kind of explain a little bit about why The Lobster is personal to me, which is that... Um, Yes, I am now uh, engaged to a woman that I love, but for a lot of my adult life, I was very terminally single. So I definitely relate to the themes of that film. And it's 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 just a really good movie. Uh, Colin Farrell is great in it. Uh, he's also great in Killing of a Sacred Deer. Shout out to that one. Uh, Barry Keegan, always a If you like Barry freak. Keegan being a little freak, watch Killing of the Sacred Deer. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the origin story. Uh, <laughs> he, he was probably a little freaking other shit. I don't know. I haven't seen anything before that. Watch uh, Saltburn. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. we go. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't. But yeah, Lobster, my my favorite picture uh, from Mr. Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, but another one that's up there is Poor Things. Woo! So let's talk about Poor Things. Yes, sir. Uh, Tanner, you finally got around to this one just recently. What are your yes, thoughts? Yes, uh, I watched it just this past weekend. I want to say it was Saturday. I saw it at the Alamo. Uh, I got free food with it because it took them an hour to get my food, which in hindsight, I'm pretty glad 
about because if my food was delivered to me when Willem Dafoe burps that bubble out, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'd be having a good time, to be honest. That that shit was... People talk about things being gross, salt burns gross, all these movies this year is gross. I don't think anything has disgusted me more than the multiple times Willem Dafoe burps a brown bubble. I don't know what the fuck is up with that. Counterpoint, that shit was hilarious. In a oh, no, no, don't get me... I'm, did I say it was... I never said it wasn't funny. <laughs> It's fucking hilarious. It's also disgusting. So um, where to start with this one? I have so many thoughts swirling around my head. Uh, I think the thing that most immediately comes to mind is I don't know whether or not this is the biggest budget Yorgos has had in his career. It definitely looks like it. It sure looks like it is. Like a thousand and ten percent, it looks like it. The production design, the cinematography. Can we talk? The cinematography in this movie is so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yes, the is. fucking like the fucking like peephole fisheye shots or how wide the lenses get. Yeah. Badass shit. That was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um as far as the things on a technical level, uh and when I say technical level, I guess I mean more just the uh not in front of the camera, not directly behind the camera. Um, the thing that really stood out to me was the score. I wouldn't say it's my favorite score of 2023. That honor would still mm-hmm. most certainly go to Oppenheimer, but this is definitely my second favorite. Um, not, not necessarily just because of the quality of the music, though the quality of the music is fantastic. It is the creativity and how they use the instrumentation. The main theme, when it's first played, at least to my untrained ear, almost sounds like it's being played on instruments that are out of tune and that it is often playing incorrect notes mm-hmm. as the movie goes on. And thus as Bella evolves and grows as a character, the theme becomes uh, more complex in general, sounds more correct. Instruments don't sound like they're out of tune. Notes sound like they're being correctly played, but I can still recognize it as the same piece of music. I don't know the name of the composer of this film off the top of my head, but whoever they are, they did a fucking brilliant job. Uh, This is some of the more unique music I uh, saw in a movie in recent memory and definitely of 2023. It doesn't quite have the same impact of the gut-wrenching Oppenheimer score, but it does a lot of cool things in its own right. And speaking of the score evolving as Bella Baxter's character evolves, Emma fucking Stone delivers Mm -hmm. some of the best work, honestly, the best work of her entire career. Mm -hmm. I know she's only 36, uh, and there's plenty of more acting she's going to be doing. She's already won an Oscar, and between her and Lily Gladstone, one of those two is going to win, and it might be her this year. She does such brilliant work in this movie, and I just, for me, The amount of, like, as an actor, this is going to be the most actor-ass bullshit I say, the amount of bravery and, like, courage you need to have to really fucking put yourself out there in a performance like this, from an artistic perspective, Mm -hmm. is incredible. All right? And I'm not just talking about getting, being naked or whatever. Like, obviously, that takes courage. Just the amount of, like, willingness to look like a complete and utter fool to make a fool of yourself, to do these weird movements, to just 
quite frankly, you have to completely, completely immerse yourself into a character or else the audience will 100% not buy it. They will sense it's fake. They will sense it's phony and they will not buy in. And if you do not buy into Emma Stone's performance, this movie doesn't fucking work. Even if Mark Ruffalo was as incredible as he is, which he is. Even if Willem Dafoe was as incredible as he is, which he is. Even if Remy Youssef was incredible as he is, which he is. Even if Jared Carmichael was still as incredible as he is, which he is. If Emma Stone's performance doesn't work, it does not fucking matter. Yeah. It does not fucking matter. Quite frankly, as I'm speaking out loud, I feel like I am almost talking myself into liking Emma Stone's performance more than Lily Gladstone's performance this year. Very, very close for me. It's hard to pick between the two for different reasons. Yeah. Lily is very subtle. While this is this is bombastic, this is over the top, this is big. And I like mm -hmm. big. This whole movie is big. I think it swings for big themes. It swings for big a lot of things. I haven't read the book, but I am quite frankly incredibly interested in reading the book now. Um, this, um, sort of, uh, I thought this movie would be more of a Frankenstein play when I saw the trailers for it. It yeah, still kind yeah. of is, but less of, uh, putting it together piece by piece and more just, uh, we put a, a baby's brain in an adult's body, which as I say that out loud, sounds like the title of a Mr. Beast video. Um, <laughs> so there's that for you, Jimmy. That's one's free. Um... For me, this is one of the more unique, quote unquote, coming of age films I've ever seen. You truly see Bella evolve from just basically a literal toddler to this fully grown, independent, brilliant woman in her own right. Uh, with the trials and tribulations, uh, quite frankly, wonderful. I also want to give Yorgos Lathamos props because out of all the films I saw in 2023, I think this was easily one of the best from a feminist perspective. Mm. People love Barbie. I get it. Barbie was good, and I think the feminism that Barbie portrays is very important. It's also very surface level. That is not a slight against Barbie. That is simply what it is, and there's not a problem with that. But in terms of exploring some more interesting, complex uh, feminist themes, I think this movie uh, goes a long way in exploring those stuff, especially once you get to the sex worker stuff in the th near the end of the second act. A lot of that stuff is really fascinating. There's a lot of interesting, complex ideas going around there. Mm -hmm. Um that I, quite frankly, really loved and enjoyed. Emma Stone's brilliant. The feminist themes of this film is brilliant because of the uh, brilliant writing and, quite frankly, wonderful direction from Yorgos Lathamos. Uh, I want to give the rest of the cast their flowers. Mark Ruffalo, he's a douchebag. He's a dick. You hate him. But also, you kind of get it. You kind of yeah. almost get it. Like, you see him and you go, that's a slime bag. He's an asshole. He's bad. I don't like him. Damn, he's kind of convincing. Maybe I should fuck him. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of buy into it. That level of charisma that Mark Ruffalo brings to this role is brilliant and would not work without it. Yeah. Uh, Remy Youssef is a sweet guy. I think he did great work. I really love how the thing with him and Bella is that it, at the beginning of the movie when they agree to be married, it, it doesn't even come off as like a love thing to me, especially as the movie progresses and yeah. you compare him to what Mark Ruffalo's character is doing. It, it comes off more as a caretaker thing that Willem Dafoe sort of low-key manipulated into being something more. Uh, Willem Dafoe, speaking of him, he's brilliant. Uh, I love how just uptight he is all the time. Not uptight, but just more like no nonsense with it. Like the most silliest ass bullshit is happening. Um, and he's just like, yeah, this is life. 
Um, I got a lot of laughs out of every time he described horrible, traumatic shit his father did mm-hmm. to him. Yes. That was so fucking funny every time. He'd be like, oh, yes, my father ripped my beating heart out just to see what would happen. And I'd be sitting here like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Anytime, anytime Willem Dafoe's talking about his past, uh, the first thought in your head is Jesus, man. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, but the entire, entire cast does such, such brilliant work aside from those ones. Uh, but for me, the reason why I really love this movie, of course, for all the reasons I just stated, the feminist themes, the brilliant performances, uh, the technical craft aspects being off the charts. For me, what I love most about this movie was not necessarily the coming of age stuff, the feminist stuff. For me, it was what this movie had to say about the value in living life. This movie starts with our main character, well, not even our main character, someone that looks like our main character, committing suicide. That is the first imagery we see in this movie. Mm -hmm. That is the first thing we see. And New Rife is brought into her body using her unborn child. New life is brought into that body. And I think the thing for me that really stood out and I think kind of sums up helps me sum up my thoughts on the movie at least in this aspect is something that Emma Stone's character Bella says near the end of the movie when she's essentially confronting her father about creating her I find being alive fascinating so I'll forgive you the act it is an act bringing life into someone bringing life into a child bringing life into anyone that is an act Mm -hmm. and it is a heavy act because living life can be incredibly challenging, can be incredibly difficult. We are born into a world with societal structures that are wholly rigged against us, uh, where we can see oppression and horrible things happening just by looking from at our phone from all around the world. And yet, the indomitable strength of the human spirit shines through. I, too, find being alive fascinating, so I forgive the universe of the act of giving it to me. Because despite all of the flaws, everything that is difficult about life, I find it incredibly worth living and satisfying to live through. And Poor Things to Me is the perfect encapsulation of that. Back to you, Tim. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, good stuff. Um, you mentioned not reading the book. I also have not read it, and I, I want to. I, 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 some... I bet it's good! I've read some uh, comments on Twitter saying that like the socialist themes in the book are like far more explicit. Um, there was one uh, comment that I read that I thought was very funny, which was like, uh, the movie was lukewarm on socialism, which is basically a deep throated taking of it. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Alistair Gray, the person who wrote the book, big time socialist. Most of his life. Wait, 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 wait. This is based off of a book Alistair Gray wrote? Yeah, the guy who did Lenark. He, the, oh, the fucking okay. famous Scottish postmodernist. Yeah, he, he's like, he's a big socialist. He wanted Scottish independence from the British. No, I'm I'm familiar of who <laughs> I I'm familiar with who that is. That's I did not know he wrote this book. That's insane. Yeah. And apparently the book has a lot to do with, like, Scotland and and Glasgow, and all of that was excised from the movie. Uh, It's apparently quite complicated, but, hmm, you know, it's a a great movie, and he would have loved it if he lived to see it. Died four years ago. Rest in peace. First, we'll win back Ireland from the UK. Then we'll win back the Scots. Yeah. There we go. Braveheart. All right. All right. Austin, thoughts on the film? Um... 
I I have not found a movie that is simultaneously so funny and well made since maybe Licorice Pizza back in like 2021. Truth be told, mm -hmm. Noah Baumbach's adaptation of White Noise could have been a contender if the latter two thirds of that movie were anywhere near as good as the first. But Poor Things surpasses Licorice Pizza and White Noise uh, by like a country mile in both its humor and its artifice. And that's a lot coming from me because the imagined 1970s that only exists in Hollywood movies is like one of my favorite places to be. And yet, this city of lost children, Jean-Pierre Jeunet-looking ass interpretation of the late 1800s that's on display in Poor Things makes fictional 1970s seem like the dentist's office by comparison. Uh, first off, let's ring the bell. Your ghost finally gave us a happy ending. And there's hardly, like, any fridge horror to see here, so long as you accept the conceit that certain bastards deserve to be turned into goats. Long gone are the days of blinding oneself with steak knives and getting your family killed by the fucking salt burn, kid. Uh, poor things is surprisingly sweet, especially on a second watch once you've, like, uh, braced yourself for corpses having their eyes mutilated and uh, small children watching Emma Stone give a live sex demonstration. There's already been bloody- That was the most insane fucking thing ever. Sorry, you just reminded me of that. I was losing my goddamn mind. Fucking grease, dude. Uh, there's already a, been- A like, finger up the ass helps. <laughs> there's already been like plenty of praise thrown at the film for this, uh, but it bears repeating in this Christian nation, Emma Stone is never punished for her sexual exploits. There's no moment where she's, like, mm -hmm. badly assaulted or realizes she has AIDS or, or should have been going yeah. to church the whole time. Uh, Poor Things is, like, the rare movie where a woman can explore their sexuality as they please and not be struck by some, like, flash of patriarchal lightning for doing so. Uh, that's novel. Mm -hmm. Even fucking Nymphomaniac couldn't manage that simple task. Uh, this is putting the horse before the cart a lot. Uh, but I do love a movie that's set up to have a sort of, like, out-of-the-blue final boss fight. Boogie Nights, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Kung Fu Hustle, kinda. Uh, and Poor Things does such an excellent job with its final 15 minutes when the husband of Victoria, uh, the dead woman whose body Bella now lives inside, shows up to, like, drag her back into the oppressive circumstances that drove her to suicide in the beginning of the movie. That Kit Harrington clone that they got to play Alfie Blessington is given so much good material to work with, including one of this movie's, like, countless top-shelf lines. While talking to his wife, who he drove to suicide via the threat of imprisonment and genital mutilation, he says, When I list all the ways that you've wronged me, Jesus Christ himself would have probably beaten you to death with a bat. Just a remarkable showdown that provides a shocking, like, tonal contrast to the more kind of, like, whimsical path that Bella had been walking up until entering this demonic mansion. Uh, because before the evil ex-husband shows up, the movie truly does provide some foundational support nets that make Bella's journey less harrowing than it appears on the surface. She's got, like, a caring genius father and an understanding forgiving fiance. Uh, she has the cheap, conditional love of a deeply unserious cad. And uh, she's got a sort of impartial relationship with eroticism that renders some of her more potentially disturbing sexual encounters 
little more than like strange situations that kind of came and went as far as she's concerned. Uh, don't let that shot where Willem Dafoe is sawing up a brain like it's cake fool you. <laughs> Poor Things is kind of a comfort movie. Uh, one mm -hmm. novel thing that I learned about the making of this motion picture is that it was shot on specially made film stock. Uh, remember how, like, earlier this year when there were articles about how Kodak invented Eastman Double X 65mm uh, uh, for Oppenheimer? Like, there wasn't an IMAX black and white film stock until Oppenheimer. Remember that shit? Yeah, I remember that, yeah. There, There's a similar kind of story with poor things. There's this kind of film stock that Kodak makes called Ektachrome. Uh, where the exposure in the camera is captured as a positive instead of a negative. So the color science is, like, all weird and different. National Geographic used to use ectochrome for decades to make, like, the pretty pictures on the covers and stuff. Taylor Swift, in All Too Well, used it. Uh, Spike Lee, though, in, in the flashbacks for The Five Bloods, right? Um, but usually you can only get ectochrome in, like, 8mm or 16mm if you're shooting a movie. But... If you're Yorgos Lanthimos, Kodak will go all out and make you that special, hot-off-the-press, 35mm ectochrome stock. Not only does this look nice because it was shot on film, but it was shot on a really weird film that you've got to, like, custom order and shit. Poor Things is just genuinely running circles around everything else that came out this year, except maybe, like, Spider-Verse 2, especially, like, aesthetically. Uh, but does Spider-Verse 2 have a chicken dog? Does Spider-Verse 2 have hot fucking... That's right, we're having our cake and eating it too. All of the visual spectacle, uh, plus all of the extreme ugly bullshit dancing around like a reanimated corpse. It fucking owns. In summary, 10 out of 10, absolute masterpiece. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos is improving his filmmaking skills faster than Bella Baxter ages up mentally. And uh, he was a standout all the way back when he made Dogtooth. So after this, it's safe to say he's become, like, one of the greatest living directors on the planet. Uh, fortunately, mm -hmm. his next film, Kind of Kindness, or Kinds of Kindness, uh, is already actually in the cam. They shot it already. So hopefully we won't have to wait, Hell like, yeah. six years for his next game-changing freak show. Uh, this may very well be my favorite film of 2023, and Bella Baxter is certainly my new favorite Disney princess. Back to you, Tim. Hell yeah. Uh, that I literally said that as we were getting ready to walk out. Uh, I was like, this is a Searchlight Pictures movie. That means Bella Baxter's a Disney princess. And I was just like, why would you say that? How is I, you you just reminded me that Disney distributed this. That's hilarious. How? The most hardcore fucking in a mainstream movie of 2023, Disney. How, oh, yeah. how is Bob Iger going to explain this to YouTube reactionaries? How is he going to get through that press conference? YouTube reactionaries don't know what a Searchlight Pictures is. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, but yeah, great, great stuff all around. Um, I had a blast with this movie. Um, I again, I th still think uh, The Lobster is my favorite of his films, just because of personal reasons. Uh, but this is definitely the most enjoyment I've gotten out of a uh, Lanthimos film. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's again, it's it's finally like a. a film that has all of his disturbing grotesqueries and uh absurdism uh but with a happy ending um we love to see it uh the the humor is so good uh like 
I struggle, like, the first half of Bo is Afraid is so funny, and this is, like, on the same level. I, I just love both of those movies. I love that 2023 was the year that uh, the fucked up weirdo director got to make his big picture. Um, just just lots of good stuff there. Um, and, yeah, all, all the performances are great. Like Tanner was saying, uh, Willem Dafoe. Uh, once again killing it as the weirdest old scientist man who has the most fucked up childhood everything yeah yeah everything he says is just so absurdly funny mark ruffalo is great as the biggest asshole on the planet i think it's definitely important to you know talk about the the sexual content of the film and um who boy if you thought the oppenheimer sex uh discourse was bad uh people were like if you like this movie you should be ashamed of yourself you're an actual terrible person and dear god i need twitter to learn how to engage with troubling media please it's not that deep mm-hmm. you you can you can like something that's uh, you know complex and doesn't necessarily make you feel good um i definitely understand why this particular film's uh, sexual content is, you know, it's going to cut some people. Like, uh, the, the concept of the, the child brain being in an adult body and having sex is obviously, it's meant to make you uncomfortable. Um, and I, I, do, I do think it's great that they, like, let you in on that before any of the sex stuff happens. So it doesn't feel like a Trojan horse or something. Like, if that had been the twist, that would have been really bad. To be totally fair, uh, Willem Dafoe, in the trailer as well as very early in the movie, says she's developing at an accelerated pace. So the sort of intellectual conceit there is, like, her, her she's mentally aging very quickly. Sort of like how right. you would imagine, like, cats age seven years and cat years for every one human year. Like, you know, like, every week or so for Bella could be another, like, year of mental aging. So even, like, kind of... Yeah. As long as you engage with it honestly, it's not quite as fucked up when you kind of, like, reduce it to a, a sentence to try to, yeah. like, knock people down. I, I sort of justified exactly. it as being, like, by the time Bella's actually fucking, she's probably mentally a teenager. Mm-hmm. Right. Which means she's... it's okay for her to explore and do what she wants. That doesn't mean Mark Ruffalo didn't exploit her, but, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely think that like if you engage with it the way it's meant to be engaged with, um, there there's a meaningful story there. You just need to not let it on its face um, take you away from it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I do think this has a lot of interesting stuff to say about sex. Um, there's one character, uh, the older woman that uh, she meets on the boat, who. Uh, reveals that she hasn't been late in 20 years and uh, that she's kind of just over it, uh, which I think is sort of um, an interesting kind of uh, thematic uh, sentence in the movie just because uh, as she, as Bella is exploring uh, her sexual identity, like she very much wants to continue having sex. She's fascinated by it. Um, But once she finally has a satisfying sexual experience with Toinette uh she's you know she's not she's not like done having sex but that's not her motivation anymore Mm -hmm. um she's she's satisfied um which I I think is a a 
especially you know a great sort of um ending note to like her relationship with mark ruffalo's character because like he touts himself as uh god's gift to women everywhere he's the finest fornicator in all the land and like that character is probably decently sexually competent uh, in all honesty but he's not there for her he's he's doing everything for himself uh to make himself feel powerful Mm -hmm. um and and like like we said exploiting her obviously Mm -hmm. um like it it kind of just plays into uh my hot take which is that you know sexually pleasing women is not that hard you just have to try uh you you just have to actually put effort in insert a copy of she comes first by ian kerner in my hands right here just the bng yeah literally all you all you really have to do is be there for them and, and communicate. Uh, when, exactly. And when she finds somebody who is there for her, it's a meaningful experience. Yeah, and uh, like uh, Cody had said the other night when we were talking about it, like when she was uh, having sex with uh, Mark Ruffalo, like she was having fun, but it was like work. Uh, and then she uh, joins the whorehouse and then it's literally work with clients that are far less satisfying than Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> But then she's with Toinette, and it, again, it's an actual meaningful experience, um, which I, I think that that's just a really great nuanced way to approach um, sexual depiction in film. Great film, uh, and we're going to have more bits and pieces to talk about after this quick ad break on this video that's definitely not getting monetized. Hell yeah. Well, if we never try, we'll never know. There we go. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. Now we got a sponsored ad for you. Moviepalette.com. It's got colorful palettes with all the different colors of a movie you like. I got one up there for the film Mandy. Tanner's got one for Punch Drunk Love, a movie I referenced earlier. Uh, whenever Poor Things comes out on digital, it'll probably make for a very pretty movie palette. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could get another Yorgos Lanthimos film if you wanted to. Uh, you get could two, get three. Get... Yeah, you could probably get Salo or the 120 Days of Solemn if you really want. I don't know why you'd want that, but you could. Uh, One of the lines be brown. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Go to moviepalette.com and get your fucked up movie palette. Uh, But be sure to use promo code SQUAD15 to save 15% on your order. Do you imagine they have a category that's just like, that just says fucked up? Hell yeah. I mean, I would. August Underground. All right. General discussion time, boys. Uh, I'm going to start with a fun one. Uh, do we have any favorite, like, lines or funny bits? Um, favorite line? In fact, I do. <laughs> I already said it earlier. It's the one I... I literally wrote the quote down so I wouldn't forget it. My personal pick is this moment on the boat. Duncan Wedderburn uh, proposes to Bella and then, like, threatens her life shortly after. And Emma Stone has this line like, so you either want to marry me or kill me. Is that the proposition? And then they hold on this shot of Mark Ruffalo looking upset for, like, 15 solid seconds. No exaggeration. In fact, that might be lowballing it. I couldn't believe what I was seeing in the movie theater. I had to go see it again to make sure that was real. When I saw that moment on a rewatch, I lost my fucking mind. Okay? I, I also... Uh, 
I also like, uh, I have taken five milligrams of heroin through the toes for pain, amphetamines, <laughs> yeah. and cocaine, because I am partial so towards partial cocaine. To cocaine. <laughs> yeah, Willem uh, Dafoe showing up at the wedding got me my ass good. It's so good. Um, there are a lot that come to mind. I think my number one has to be Mark Ruffalo going, See, he coughs not like a human, but blood. He has cancer, you fucking idiot. Oh. <laughs> it's uh, so good. All my favorite comedic moments are usually because of Mark Ruffalo. Uh, I'm partial to the one that was in the trailers. Bella! Which is funny in the trailer, even goddamn funnier in the movie. Because, uh, like, listen, fellas. I'm sure we can all relate to this. Have you ever been down so bad for someone it drives you clinically insane? Because down I've been there. I've down been. This happened to me in September and October, Austin. Austin knows what I'm talking about. It did happen to me. Yeah. Okay, buddy. I drove me clinically insane, basically. On that note, another one that I do love is uh, Bella going, uh, this conversation is getting circular, and then I'm just going, CUNT! <laughs> Mark Ruffalo's so I like how... Hold on, I have to... Remember the guy at the ball that kept winking at her? Yeah. So, I thought that was John Malkovich. Me too! Thank and you. I thought he was gonna have a big part in the movie, and then you never see him again. I'm still not convinced that wasn't John Malkovich. I love how Mark Ruffalo just gets up and beats the shit out of him. They got the four <laughs> millimeter handheld for like one shot in the movie. Just yeah. while Mark Ruffalo goes over there and beats the shit out of this guy. Yo, you winking at my girl? Die. Yeah. Also, uh, I must go punch that baby. Also, uh, Willem Dafoe's, like, really long uh, $10 word-laden explanation of how he can only have sex by being yes, shot yes. super hard. And when he busts a nut, it lasts for days. Uh, followed shortly uh, thereafter by him saying, I'm a eunuch, man. I can't fuck her. At that moment, the, the funniest, lit me up. The funniest part of that is just the response of, what? <laughs> well, so I, all I could, that's what I thought in the theater. But the whole time I was just thinking, so, like, I got the impression that from the way he described it, it's like, if I come, I die. I got the impression that uh, when he busts, because I think he provides a comparison, it does not last but a few short moments, but several days. He's like a pig, but worse, you know? Like, like that nut busts over do, like a 72-hour span. Do pigs come long? Yeah, pigs come long. Can I get that on a t-shirt? Pigs come long? Do can it, can it like look like that thing that barbecue restaurants do where they put like the name of their restaurant inside of a pig? Can I just do that except it's pig comes long? Can we get that? Official Bomb Squad merch. That's going to be our first t-shirt. I can't wait to see that on shirts that go hard. That's going to be... Oh, hard? Yes. That, uh, that, that I am fully erect. That scene where Mark Ruffalo goes, Bella! That was Adler. Bella! Yeah, Because... I don't know about you guys. I saw this trailer like one trillion times. Yep. Because yeah. it was in front of every movie. It was in front of the Paw Patrol sequel, which was weird. Um, I made that up. Oh, <laughs> I was about to say that's an actual offense against the children. I did not see the Paw Patrol movie in theaters. I waited until it came to streaming. Um, but yeah, exactly. seeing that joke a billion times in the trailer and it's still hitting in the movie. Like, it's just absolutely hilarious how he's like begging her, following her around Paris, I'm like, man, you had so many opportunities. I love her just going, 
go home. I, I saw I saw this letterboxed review uh, from one profile Zhu Shugaze uh, that said "Poor Things" is Barbie for people who listen to Bjork. Uh, <laughs> it is sort of nice to have like Barbie, the pop feminist film, in the realm of like sort of like book smart clueless legally blonde mm -hmm. that was like the highest grossing film of all year and then in the same space you've got this more challenging like i am curious yellow portrait of a lady on fire like college girl feminism with poor things like it's a good year for cinema about ladies tanner talked no, about this in his general thoughts I, I think it has been an excellent year for women cinema. Both Barbie and Poor Things are in my top 10. You want to talk about some other movies directed by women that were incredible? Uh, I'm sorry. Not that this one was directed by a woman. It's kind of funny that, in my opinion, the best one is the one directed by a man. Let's not dive into that too much. Um, but some other movies about women are directed by women. Uh, we have uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which we did an episode on. Uh, Past Lives, which we will be doing an episode on. Um, it's one I haven't seen yet. Austin seen this one, I think. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall. There we go! That was directed by a woman that I, I can't remember. I think you said that one was okay, Austin. I can't remember, but it's... I, I, I do... Okay, listen. That same German <laughs> actress was in both the movie that won the Golden Palm and the second place prize at Cannes, the Grand Prix, uh, fucking Anatomy of a and Fall Lady. She was also in the Zone of Sandra Interest. Holler. Thank Sandra you. Sandra Holler, which both of those movies are nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Uh, there's been a lot of noise about how Greta Gerwig wasn't nominated for Best Director. Um, personally, I don't even think I would have nominated her. I don't think the thing that makes Barbie excel is the directing. It's the screenplay, and guess what she was nominated for? Um, oh, yeah, there you go. So, um, not the point, obviously. Um, it, this has been an excellent year for women cinema, or, or for cinema about women. And God, it's so fucking funny. We're all men. We're talk. We are all men, and we're talking about. Listen, uh, th this was supposed to premiere at Con. The director of Con actually really wanted Poor Things to drop. He has a quote about how much he wanted like Oppenheimer, Barbie, or Poor Things to drop at Con, but they couldn't because of like timing. Because I think uh, Poor Things premiered sept September first at the Venice Film Festival. If my memory. Yeah, is it was a Venice premiere. I remember because those are the two ones you usually get. You get your Cons and your Venice premieres as far as the European festivals go. And I think Poor Things uh, or Con was in May, so Poor Things genuinely might not have been finished like. Going through the grade and everything. Uh, it's clearly at a, at a like a post heavy movie, uh, like the amount of precision you needed editing wise. And uh, there are a lot of VFX shots here. Oh, yeah. Uh, clearly um, gas bubble and others. It took them a year yeah. to do post. This wrapped filming in December of 2021 and went through a whole year of post. And then in January of 2023, they finally started doing the grade. This, this, this wrapped like, in... D d d fucking December of 2021, my my dog. <laughs> fucking crazy. Um, you, but, think they, uh, you think they watched No Way Home at the rap party? Jesus Christ. I think, I genuinely believe, this is to answer your question from a minute ago, what I think of Anatomy of a Fall. If, if fucking poor things was at con, it would have walked away with the Grand Prix and the Golden Palm, okay? Fucking Zone of Interest and Anatomy of a Fall do not hold a fucking candle to poor things. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall is okay. The screenplay is the best part of it. Uh, but poor things, so much better than both of those. I'm also Jewish. Yeah. I want to preface, preface isn't, that. Isn't Zone of Interest a, a, like a Holocaust movie? I'm Jewish. I don't I actually know what it's about. Viewers. Oh, okay. So that's why you said that. 
Um, I just don't I want to see both. To... Those are the last two Best Picture nominees I haven't seen yet. I need to see them. I hope you like Zone of Interest more than I did, Tanner. Best use of the volume I've ever seen. Mandalorian, eat your fucking heart no! out. No! What? They used the volume? Sort of. They used a big LED wall. They filmed this, I think, in Belgium? A big studio in Belgium? A lot of these shots use, like, giant LED wall. Like, uh, mm. when they're on the ship. Like, that's actual, like, stuff they had to have done in time for shooting. That, like, crazy, Hell like, yeah. fucking ocean and shit. They used a lot of LED wall. And for a lot of shots, they had to, like, expand, like, the top of it. Because getting an LED wall that goes all the way to the top of a wide shot on a wide-angle lens, not cost-effective. Uh, but, right. yeah, lots of, lots of like, volume-esque kind of shit used in here. LEDs in the place of, like, green screen kind of stuff. The, uh, the, the effects work here is just brilliant across the board. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, in it looks, order to bring this world to life. It, it looks great, and I think that's why it looks so great that it's it's using like the the volume wall as opposed to uh having to do it uh completely in post like i, I, I hold I think on it just looks it, so good. it's not just because they're using the volume wall because as we've seen with maybe some of these newer other productions that use the volume quantumanium um just having the volume does not guarantee you're going to have an effective looking shot you have to know how to use it. You have to understand yeah. that by the very nature of it being LED, if you focus your camera on it too much, you kind of notice the LEDs. Um, yeah. There's a reason why, when... why half of the Mandalorian show takes place in a desert. That's that's why uh, you get good filmmaker to use volume, and then it looked good. The two most effective movies I have seen uh, use the volume are neither are, neither of them are made by Disney number one uh, it's this now that I know this and the Batman those are the only two movies I've actually seen use the volume effectively I think some of the Disney plus TV shows especially season one of the Mandalorian uses it very well um, this might be the single most brilliant usage of it I've seen even if it's not exactly the volume it sounds like it is a remarkably similar piece of technology yeah, I feel like someone in the comments is going to dunk on us because, like, the volume is a place, like a studio. Well, and uh, LED virtual, like, production technology is, like, a different term. But uh, I want I want you to stop writing that comment and go get laid, please. All right? Don't, please. Yeah. Don't fucking do this to us. Just listen. It's not that hard. Download Grinder. Give it three <laughs> hours. You'll be fine. Um, can we talk about the whorehouse? Yeah. The this is windows. one of the most positive depictions of a brothel and prostitutes that I have seen in a mainstream movie. Mm -hmm. uh, one yeah. of, listen, there's a lot of bad, there is obvious, I'm not saying this is the first, I'm not a fucking idiot, but um, it is one of, <laughs> I'm not mad at you, Austin. I'm mad at the guy writing that comment. He's, it's the same guy writing all the hate comments. It's the, it, it, it's oddly enough, the same guy that kept commenting on the Godzilla video in Spanish. Um, it's a positive depiction of uh, prostitution as simply a profession. Yeah. That was kind of cool to see. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it has While the... still acknowledging the horrors of it, of course. Two points. I think that old woman was the one from the, uh, I think, Joel Cohen movie, The Tragedy of Macbeth. I hope I've got the right Cohen brother uh, for that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, Joel Cohen. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that, but yeah, now that you say the that. The second you say that, that is definitely Catherine, what's her name? 
she uh, was the best part of the tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, she's yes. kind of the, the, the three sisters lady who comes in and does weird soothsayer shit. And it is the best sequence in that whole film. And she was equally good mm. here. I thought it was very funny that she likes to just bite young pretty people. Uh, yeah. I, I have actually known people in real life with that, that strange instinct that they just want to bite your skin. And uh, it was it was weird seeing that in a movie. I was like, I've fucking seen this before in a buried memory. Um, Coming for the lobes. Oh my god, Austin! I went to just check on her letterbox page to just verify that she was the same lady. She's gonna be in Coppola's next movie. That should be sick as hell. Megalopolis. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. I think Margaret Qualley is gonna be there too. She's also in this. Uh, she's you know um, how Samara Weaving is also in Babylon with Margot Robbie. Uh, Margaret Qualley is in this with Emma Stone. It's like, uh, this is who we would have picked to play Bella if we didn't have the sauce. Love you, Margaret. Can't wait for Drive Away Dolls. Your mom's a great actress, too. Love Sex, Lies, and What Peter. are you, Democrats? Uh, the, the other, we will be talking about that movie on the show. The, the other thing I wanted to say about the Whorehouse sequence that I thought was fun was that Bella, uh, to sort of re reflect um, the, the sort of, like... Um, socialist like principles of the writer mm -hmm. uh she sort of acts like she's it or what is it what's his quote work like you're in the early days of a better country um she tries to improve the system with what little like position she has to make improvements mm -hmm. and yeah. she comes to this conclusion of like all right tell me a childhood memory the john has to tell her a childhood memory she tells the john a joke that makes them laugh and then if the John smells like fucking ass, they get sprayed with, like, some lavender water. And I was like, yeah. huh, you really don't have much wiggle room here to improve your situation, and somehow you found a way that's convincing. I found that extremely charming from, like, an intellectual standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I, I do like that a lot. Uh, definitely shows her, you know, growing her um, agency uh, in this position. Uh, this movie has a lot of zooms. Can we talk about the zooms? zooms. So, yeah. so here's here's my hot take as a as a person. Um, I usually don't like zooms in movies. I uh, with few exceptions. Zooms I, I can find to be incredibly distracting. I, I'm not exactly I I don't necessarily think immersion is the end all be all of filmmaking. I do think though that when I realize a camera is zooming in, it can take me out of it. Because, like, I'm, for whatever reason, it's immediately like, oh, eyes don't do that. Yeah. Cameras do that. Yeah. Um, a lot of this has to do with my general distaste for mumblecore movies, which abuse the shit out of zooms in order to s cover up for the fact that they didn't have enough time to shoot actual close-ups. But in this movie, I thought every zoom was used to, like, perfection yeah for me i think a zoom uh is best used to uh create disorientation or humor and i think this movie does both really well with its zooms like another movie uh that i really loved the zooms in was uh simon baker's red rocket i was literally uh, just thinking of the shot after they fuck and yeah. it just goes straight to his face in that movie the, the zooms in that movie are fucking hilarious. Like, there's one of the, the ex-wife just, like, zooming in a comedic amount on her face. Um, I, I, I love I love everything yeah, the camera's doing I, in that movie. I guess it's less that I distaste, I have a distaste for zooms, and more that I think people use them wrong a lot. And that's fair. I 
one of the reasons that this might have worked. Um, also, Zooms might remind, remind a lot of people of The Office, because uh, that was a popular style of sitcom that's developed as, like, you know, lo like relying a lot on snap zooms for humor. Um, Sorry, you just maybe imagine Emma Stone jimming the camera in this movie. <laughs> they, they, like, after this... Mark after Mark Ruffalo's, like, Bella, Emma Stone just goes. <laughs> <laughs> they, this, they used the opposite of, like, a shitty fucking camcorder. They used the 16.5 the 16 to 110 millimeter Zeiss Master Zoom. That is dead ass. The name of the lens is a Zeiss Master Zoom. So like probably the craziest fucking like zoom lens you can get in Hollywood right now. This thing is built like a truck. The lens by itself weighs 27 fucking pounds. Just the lens. <laughs> okay. That would explain why these are some of the smoothest goddamn zooms I've ever seen in the movie. It's like I could tell it was zooming in, but like my brain couldn't even process that like the focal length was changing somehow. This is like because what that's yeah. what a zoom is the focal length changing. And yet, like, my brain couldn't see that. This is dead ass like the Lamborghini of zoom lenses. It's like as wide as a zoom lens gets and as fucking telephoto as a zoom lens gets. Uh, you know, like that ratio and the nicest glass that you could find on a zoom lens. Fuck it. Mm. The DP really, they probably had to pay a lot of money for that. So to demonstrate to the audience, here's a lens. This is this lens at 15 millimeters. And this particular lens goes up to 85. There's 85. That's a lot of change. And from what you're describing, this is a lice, a lace. Help me. Um, It's a Zeiss, if I'm remembering. Yeah, Zeiss, Zeiss. lens. Zeiss Lens, which is an incredible brand that makes incredible lenses, doing that uh, at a similar focal length, except it goes even more. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it does a lot less or more this. I would need to look up a photo of the lens. Point being, impressive lens. If it weighs 25 pounds, this weighs like yeah. a pound. And uh, for the shots with the fucking black vignette that wraps around everything, uh, they used a yeah four, the peephole shots. A four millimeter Optex lens that was actually designed for sixteen millimeter photography. That's like tinier, lower resolution film. Uh, because this lens was designed for tiny baby film on big film like thirty five millimeter, it makes this like Looney Tunes ass black feathered circle around the action. I think it's like the widest lens they could get their hands on, possibly. Uh, but I'm into it. Yeah, it was a unique yeah. creative decision. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely dug all of those shots uh, that had had the peephole look. It, like, added a sense of voyeurism to the film, almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, one last filmmaking thing that I wanted to address. Uh, this was partially shot on VistaVision. Uh, viewers might remember from our Scott Pilgrim episode that VistaVision was, like, this super high definition version that was kind of like 30, 35 millimeter uh, that was invented back in the early 50s. I think White Christmas was the first Vista Vision film. Uh, it came out to like make movies look so much better than television because they were like scared mm -hmm. of television taking all the eyeballs away permanently. So it's like this cool, really high resolution film format that's sort of like proto IMAX. 
Uh, but when they got the VistaVision camera, uh, that this thing was so old and dog shit that they could barely film anything with it because it was loud as fuck, like, like a screeching parrot. And Yorgos Lanthimos is one of those directors that absolutely hates dubbing in sound after the, the fact. Like, he's the opposite of a spaghetti western director. So they only used VistaVision for, like, a few shots where there was no sound. Uh, but that's funny that they went through, like, all the trouble to get that obscure format. They ran the camera, and it was just like, Argh! and they were like, oh, we can't work with this. Oops. Okay, that's sick as hell. Sucks for them. Yeah. Cool. Your ghost, you, you mad genius. I literally cannot wait for whatever comes next. Kinds of kindness. Yeah. Yeah, very, very excited for uh, whatever weird shit he's got in the can uh, coming out next. Including um, what he just shat in the can. I bet his shit looks incredible. Oh my. His shit don't stink. His shit uh, don't stink. Um, and with that, let's get into final thoughts. We'll start with Austin. I love the part where Willem Dafoe was sawing that brain up and said, I'm something of a scientist myself. 10 out of 10. Go watch it with <laughs> your parents. You. <laughs> yeah, I almost good. watched this with my dad. I almost <laughs> made that mistake. Uh, that that might have been worse than me showing the lobster after. Sorry. Uh, Tanner, final been. thoughts. Bella! Many people are saying this. Movie good. Yeah, there we go. All right. Uh, good takes all around. Uh, my final thoughts. Uh, this movie's a lot of fun. Uh, definitely some uh, d challenging subject matter, but it's handled tastefully and uh ultimately is a very uh fun and meaningful film um check it out if uh, you're you're into some weird shit like uh we are uh it's probably not going to get a physical release because fox searchlight uh and disney's being uh assholes about uh their releases but uh, as soon as it comes to digital, me and my fiance are going to get super high and watch it and have a great time but you know who else should get super high and watch this film? Who? You! The person who's partial to cocaine. Ah. Uh, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Bomb Squad Matinee. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you're listening on the audio platforms, please give us a review or a thumbs up or something. Uh, we don't entirely know how that works, but do what you can. Uh, just throw us a button. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, uh, thanks for watching. Uh, go ahead and leave a comment below. Let us know. What did you think of Four Things? What's your favorite Yorgos Lanthimos film? Uh, have you read the book? Uh, do you like the book better than the movie? Uh, comment below. Let us know. Uh, while you're down there, uh, how about you first mosey on down to our Patreon, throw us some bucks. Uh, we sure could use some beans. Uh, would be much appreciated. Uh, but once you've done that, uh, go back to our YouTube page and hit that like button if you like the video. Hit the subscribe button if you want to see more. And hit the bell icon to get notifications on when we upload new videos. Tune in next week when Tanner will be hosting an episode on Bottoms. Thank you for tuning into this episode. And re Oh.